0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And yes, we are doing a show. And yes, it is right after Sweden has lost to Ukraine in the Euro 2020. Yes, Euro 2020. I've explained this about 100 times now. It is Euro 2020, not Euro 2021. I know that would make sense because of the fact, you know, we're in the year 2021. But for the sake of keeping the the tournament in that four-year basis. Uh, you got to have another tournament in 2024. So they're going to have it in 2020 again. And the World Cup is still getting planned for 2022 in Qatar in the winter, which is going to be awesome. And we have complained about the twenty 2020 twenty World 2022 World Cup a lot in recent shows. So I'm not going to do that here. I'm just avoiding the topic of Sweden losing to Ukraine 2-1, to one, a goal scored in the 121st minute of the game. One, two, one. There was 123 minutes in the game, 120 total, went to extra time, two 15-minute extra time periods or halves or whatever you want to call them, and then three minutes of added time on and added on to that. Most of that three minutes was dedicated to uh, Sweden defender Danielson getting, uh, 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 um, let's just say this, brain shutting off, I guess, Marcus Danielson did not, have, did not cover himself in glory. I guess you could say for the Swedish national team, uh, it's straight red card. Straight, 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 straight red card. <laughs> there's there's really no... Excu- the, yeah, that's pretty much it. There's no really other way to describe what happened. But basically, just cleat straight to the knee. Knee bent weird, cleat straight to the knee. They gave him a yellow card at first, which I thought was interesting, but then he went to VAR, and he was at the VAR stand for about, I don't know, a second, and then turned around and gave straight red to the aforementioned Marcus Danielson. Conveniently enough, for Sweden, this came right after the fact that they brought on three offensive substitutions. And Marcus Berg, Victor Klaassen, and Robin Kwaeson. Kwaeson, Berg coming in for the strike partnership of Izak and kulovsevski and then Klaassen coming in for Sebastian Larsson. Three offensive substitutions for Sweden, and then the red card happens. And then Sweden has to bring off Christopher Olsen, the center maybe, because, you know what, you're an extra time. you're going to want another center back on there. So the game was just screwed up from that point, from a Swedish perspective. All in all, though, pretty boring game. It was exactly how Sweden and Ukraine have played the entire tournament. Sweden has sat back a lot this tournament, i.e. the game versus Spain, where I think they had 15% of possession or something crazy like that they were going to sit back but the problem was ukraine was sitting back so it was kind of an issue of (laughs) we're going to attack for about five minutes and then we're going to defend the other team can attack for five minutes then they're going to defend and it just kept alternating forever and then ukraine's two best players andre yarmalenko alexander zinchenko from manchester city connect on a beautiful goal for ukraine Yarmolenko plays a beautiful outside-the-foot pass, bends it around the entire Swedish defense in the box, and then Sinchenko plays it on a half-volley one-timer right past Robin Olsen. First time Sweden's been down this entire tournament, and if I remember the graphic right, I could be 100% wrong on this, Sweden is 1-8-3 in games where they do not score first. When they get scored on, they technically or t- typically lose the game. And that's what happened here. Got lucky on a goal from Emil Forsberg, deflected off a Ukrainian defender, and went right into the back of the net. And Emil Forsberg proved this tournament why he's Sweden's best player. He's been Sweden's best player for the better part of four years, maybe even five years really, and he proved that this tournament, other than Victor Klaassen's goal against Poland, which saw them finish top of the group, Forsberg scored every single goal for Sweden this tournament. Every single one, and then he hit the word work twice in this game he tipped the 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 pole I guess tipped the pole right <laughs> tipped the pole on one shot right after Ukraine did that, and then absolutely hammered the crossbar on another shot. goalie just stood there and watched it couldn't do anything about it, drilled the crossbar. there had to be a dent in the crossbar. I remember my uncle always saying that. Well, Logan, I know why your basketballs are so flat because you keep you keep bricking it off the rim and the backboard. I'm pretty sure that ball got decently deflated after that shot from Emil Forsberg, and Emil Forsberg is the first Swedish player to score four goals in a single Euro final tournament. That includes Zlatan Ibrahimovic. That includes Sebastian Lar Not Sebastian Lar. Larson. <laughs> Larson. I I'm wow. I'm really blanking on his name right now. Eric Larson. I, I'm, wow, I'm completely blanking on his name right now. And I'm not going to look it up right now because I don't have it pulled up. And I don't want to waste so much time, but either way, Forsberg's a beast. Izak looked good against Spain, looked good in spurts at some points this tournament, did not cover himself in glory in this game. Kulisevsky is a nice burst. I wish they would have had him for the entire tournament, but they didn't due to a COVID positive. So he was out the first two games played about. 15 to 20 minutes of their game against Poland and made an instant impact. He got the assist for Forbesburg's second goal. But, man, what could have been? This is a pretty easy and straightforward group to get through. Now, you have to get past England as they beat Germany today. I was all prepared to throw my bracket in the trash, which I it still kind of is going in the trash can anyways. France gets eliminated by freaking Switzerland, who a lot of people were predicting to finish last in Group A, and now they are through beating France in extra time or on penalties. Not even extra time, in penalties. France quit. That's what it looked like. France was good after they gave up the goal. They were basically sleepwalking through the game. They've had sleptwalk through the entire tournament, essentially. They gave up the goal. Then a penalty comes France's way. Lloris saves a Ricardo Rodriguez penalty, and then France all of a sudden's got life. Kareem Benzema scores two goals in the span of about two minutes. It was one of the craziest five-minute intervals I've ever seen on a soccer pitch my entire life. Save penalty, two goals. France up. (laughs) You go from giving up a penalty to being up a goal like that. And then Paul Pogba scores maybe the goal of the tournament. I don't know. That Patrick Schick halfway line goal against Scotland is going to be hard to beat. But this was an amazing goal. From Paul Pogba, realistically, should have had one against Portugal, but Rui Patricio pulled an insane save out to stop that ball from going in the back of the net. But man, France basically quit once they went up three nothing. They started getting lackadaisical again, and then they let Switzerland come right back into the game, and that's what happened. An goal in the 81st minute, and then the 90th minute. Severovic getting two goals in the game, Garnavich, Gavranovic. Gov- getting a goal in the 90th minute, and then out of all the players on France, they made substitutes throughout the game, towards the end of the game. Antoine Griezmann came out of the game. Uh, Kingsley Coman came out of the game. And uh, Kareem Benzema came out of the game. Three big players for France. Kingsley Coman came on as a substitute to replace Clement Lenglet, who (laughs) was really responsible for that first goal for Switzerland and then got subbed out at halftime. But Benzema came off. Griezmann coming off was big because you've won tournaments. You won the World Cup with Giroud as your number 1 striker. You have not ever really looked that great with Griezmann off the pitch. And you subbed him off in the 88th minute and I'm not saying you could have used him but you <laughs> could have used him in extra time. And yeah, and all the players and penalties that went up for France. I don't think there were a lot of people that were going yeah, I think the best young attacking player in the world, or yes, young pl- best young player in the world, Kylian Mbappe is going to miss his penalty. But Jan Sommer made an absolute. Well, I don't. It was just a good save. It was just a good save. It wasn't like a world class save or anything like Rui Patricio's save against Paul Pogba, like we mentioned before. It was a good save, and Switzerland won on that. Like I walked up. We. I kind of forgot about Kylian Mbappe because they subbed out Benzema. They subbed out Griezmann. So my <laughs> mindset's like. All of their best players are pretty much gone other than Pogba. Pogba left. He took the first penalty. Scored it beautifully. The penalties were great for both teams. I think it's a little unfair for Lloris to not have a save against Ruben Vargas. He stuttered a little bit, went to the left, and Vargas just hammered it home. Save height, saveable height. If Lloris didn't jolt to the left at first, I think he would have had that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It went in. And then Mbappe steps up. I was like oh, no, he's going to miss this, isn't he? I didn't really think like he was going to miss it. I wasn't going there, oh, yeah, he's going to miss it. Like I wasn't confident saying that. I was like, oh, no, he's going to be the player that misses it, isn't it? He's going to be the guy that misses this for France. The best young player in the world is going to miss this for France. One of the best players, not even just young players, one of the best players in the world is going to miss this for France, and he missed it, and Switzerland won the game. Now, this is a very intriguing time, for France, Didier Deschamps is instantly on the hot seat. You go from the best team in the world, reigning World Cup champions, to getting knocked out of a group that a lot of people thought would finish last in their group and barely made it through. They made it through in third place. <laughs> Man, this is going to be a trying time, and you've got players like Hugo Lloris. They're strikers. What's going to be up with Karim Benzema and Olivier Giroud? They're getting older. Now, I know you only got... What? A year and a half to the next World Cup? It's not very a long a long time till the next World Cup, but you got some players. Isn't Golo Conte done with France? I don't know. He's a little bit older. He's older than what people some people think because he's only been around, it feels like for such a short period of time since they won the league with uh, when he won the league with Leicester City. But he's thirty years old. What if he wants to hang it up a little earlier? I don't know, it's gonna be a weird time. For France now, I'm not saying all of this stuff would happen. Ingolo Conte is still one of the best midfielders in the world, so it makes sense for him to want to keep moving forward with France. But I don't know. There's been reports that Zinédine Zidane really wants to be the France manager. And after this, where you go in being the heavy favorites in this tournament to losing in the first round of the knockout stage to Switzerland, it's gonna be. There's gonna be some questions asked, and I would not be surprised if Didier Deschamps is. "Quote unquote," sacked after this tournament, and I think Zinedine Zidane would be a logical or a logical follower from Deschamps. Great French player, France legend, maybe the greatest French player, French player of all time. Maybe I don't know. Deschamps very good player as well. You got Manuel Petit, or not? not, Just Petit is going to be up there as well. Thierry Henry. There's some great French players. And this 2022 World Cup is going to be very interesting for France. And this tournament just shows, and if you forgot how good this team was, this proved how good they were, how good Spain was over that three-tournament stretch. Euro 2008, World 2010 World Cup, and Euro 2012. Three straight international tournaments, won by Spain. And then they obviously fell apart in the 2014 World Cup. But we're not going to talk about the 2014 World Cup. That three tournament stretch is something we might not see for a very, very long time. France came into this tournament as the heavy favorites. Like, I didn't feel like I was a genius for saying, oh, I think France will win this thing. You don't see back to back tournament champions like that, especially back to back to back tournament champions like that Spain team. They were awesome, and they're still through. Spain went through, they had a very interesting game against Croatia. Uh, Unai Simon, remember when we talked about in the preview that I did, the video I did before the tournament, led the or led Europe in errors from the goalkeeping position or something like that, or La Liga? I can't remember exactly. But I don't care if they credit the own goal to Pedri. That has to go on Unai Simon. I don't care if Pedri passed the ball back. There's no reason Unai Simon should not be at least touching it to avoid that. It wasn't like it was played at a ridiculous pace, he just got lackadaisical and just let it slide right past him. But thankfully, Spain woke up a little bit after that. You have Sarabia scoring as Pili Cueta and Fernando Torres scoring three goals unanswered. And then you got Orsich and Basolić scoring in an 85th and 92nd minute to bring the game back. And I remember seeing a tweet, it's all but over. Has to be all but over after Fernand Torres' goal. All but over here for the Spains, for the, Sp- or the Croats. In this game. Nope. And then the two goals were scored. Very constant theme on that day. One team goes up early, the team that is supposed to be the better team comes back, has a pretty big lead, three to one to be exact. France had three-one lead, Spain had a three-one lead. And then Croatia comes back into it. And then Switzerland comes back into it. But the difference is <laughs> Croatia is fresh off coming up runners up in the World Cup. And Spain's expectations are nowhere near as high as France's. Spain was expected to come in win their group, which they didn't do, and be fine, I guess. Not do anything spectacular, but win their group it was like the lowest bar you could have set for Spain, and then they came second. <laughs> weird weird team. We've talked about how weird this Spain t- Spanish team is, but then Álvaro Morata scores or Azibah or ball, however you say his name in Spanish. Scored in the 103rd minute, and then the game was done and dusted. So you have Spain being Croatia three to five after extra time. You have France losing on penalties to Switzerland of all teams four to five. And then you have England upset or not upsetting. England was the favorite. There should have been the favorites in this game. Two to nothing against the Germans. And I kind of wanted to talk about this game last because I enjoyed watching this game. Even though there was a lot of not a lot of great attacking play there were some good chances. Like Harry Kane had a very good chance right before halftime that he probably should have scored. You have Thomas Muller just passing the ball right past the net on a one-on-one with Jordan Pickford, just played it right past the net. Jordan Pickford had a couple really nice saves in this game. Jordan Pickford has proved why he kept that England number one spot. And we talked about, I think we talked about this in the video, we talked about this on a show right before the Euro started. You cannot logically go in, and I'm, I don't know if I did this or not, so don't <laughs> go back and listen to a show if I did say something contrary to this before, just because I like Dean Henderson playing for Manchester United. But on an England standpoint, you could not really list a valid argument for why Jordan Pickford should not be the number one goalie for England, other than the fact that Everton has been shaky for him at times. But of the other goalies that were in competition, Nick Pope was out injured, so we're not including Nick Pope here. Dean Henderson was questionable number one for Manchester United. They rotated a little bit. He took the number one spot from David De Gea and then had a really shaky run of form. And then we didn't know who was the starter at Manchester United. Aaron Ramsdale just finished last place in the league with Sheffield United. He was not going to be the number one goalkeeper. And then Sam Johnstone was near the bottom as well, also relegated. <laughs> there was really no competition logically. For Jordan Pickford going into this tournament, especially coming off the 2018 World Cup where he was one of England's best players, it's going to be hard to bench him and Gareth Southgate, the same thing. Who are you realistically thinking England can get that would be an upgrade on Gareth Southgate? And I think this game proved that as well. Gareth Southgate took a team that had a history since 1966 when they last won the World Cup. In the 90s onward, you had a team constantly underachieving, falling under the slightest bit of pressure. And now they've made it to a World Cup semifinal and they beat Germany. And he was on the team in Euro 96 that missed a penalty against Germany at at Wembley. And he has rectified that. You would think he has rectified that. And this knockout stage is very, very favorable for the English. They are in a position to where they should win this tournament or at least come finish in the final cuz the two best teams left in this tournament are Italy and Belgium but Belgium doesn't have Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne so i'm a little more nervous about that game than i was yesterday cuz that news just came out today that Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard will not be there but they will be there for Belgium's semifinal game if they make it to the semifinals i think it is logically logical to expect One of those two teams versus England in Euro 2020 final. That is the logical thing to expect. Now, stranger things have happened. Like, Ukraine could upset England. England can completely overlook Ukraine in this game and go, oh, wow, we we got to go through Ukraine and Czech Republic and Denmark? We've already beaten the Czech Republic. Granted, it was a tough game, but beat them. And Denmark's going on a lot of spirit right now, but England has better players than Denmark they could be looking past this now do I think this group's different than past groups yes obviously they just made it to a 2018 World Cup semifinal. they're better or more unified I guess than groups in the past and that can go through a lot of different things through those English teams you look at some of the players those English teams had Rio Ferdinand John Terry Frank Lampard Steven Gerrard Wayne Rooney Paul Scholes you had a great group of players but they just could never come together and the system, just never worked. The fact that you're playing Paul Scholes at left mid and playing a midfield two of Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard who do the exact same thing, I don't know, that didn't work. Obviously didn't work. Michael Carrick I think would have been the perfect remedy for that playing in a 4-3-3, but they did not do that. Paul Scholes could have played as that pivot at the number six spot, but they didn't do that. Here it looks like England's playing to their players' strengths, and there's some players that are kind of, why is this player in the team? That gets talked about a lot, but you really look at it and go, okay, this makes a lot of sense to be in the team, like Kieran Trippier being a main example of that. Kieran Trippier was one of England's best players the year at the 2018 World Cup. He's improved vastly defensively while at Atletico Madrid under Diego Simeone, and he's the best set-piece specialist England have right now. Trent Alexander-Arnold will obviously have something to say about that, But on the team right now, he's the best one they have. He's a better defender than Trent Alexander-Arnold. His ceiling's not as high, and he's not a better attacker than Trent Alexander-Arnold. But I think he's more solid defensively at this point in time. Now Trent's only, what, 21, 22 years old at this point in time? So he's got room to grow. Trippier's almost 30. So, or is 30, I don't know. It makes sense to have that. (laughs) But he's playing these players' strengths. And you see players like Bakayo Saka who probably wouldn't have thought they'd got a lot of minutes in this tournament. And that last game against the Czech Republic, he was one of England's best players, if not the best player on the pitch. And he started against Germany today. He's keeping Jadon Sancho out of the side, right, wrong, or otherwise. I know there's some political issues going on with Jadon Sancho. Like, does Gareth Southgate particularly rate the German Bundesliga? That's been a big issue with England. As you notice, every single player on the English national team, plays their club football in England. Now, Jay and Sancho will soon be playing his club football in England as he wraps up a transfer to Manchester United. But that's a big issue going on right now. Jay and Sancho is one of the best attackers in the world. Best creators in the world. But he plays in the Bundesliga. <laughs> so, maybe that's a little bit of an issue we're facing right now. Because you can't realistically say, Bakayi Saka should start above Jadon Sancho or even Marcus Rashford, but he did. Very versatile player, can do a lot of things for England, and he starts and has played very, very well. And going off form before the tournament, you couldn't say Raheem Sterling should have started. And he scored three of England's four goals this tournament. Harry Kane got a very nice goal assist from Jack Grealish. I think it's going to be very hard to leave Jack Grealish out of the starting lineup in the next game. And it'll be interesting to see how England's set up. I don't think they'll need to set up in a back five or back three, however you look at it, like they did today against Germany, because that's the system Germany runs. When you're playing the better teams, a very attack-minded team like Germany is, you're going to want to sit back a little bit, invite it, and try to go on the counterattack. Now, England did a very good job of absor- absorbing Germany's attack and pushing forward. They still haven't allowed a goal this tournament. England still have not allowed a goal this entire tournament. Jordan Pickford has been great. Harry Maguire has been great since coming back and being fully healthy for England. John Stones has been pretty good. Kyle Walker's been his usual self, playing as a right-sided center back like he did in 2018. And Luke Shaw has been fantastic as well, coming down the left side for England. I'm intrigued to see what they do. Because one hand you go, well, you're playing Ukraine. You should be the one attacking against Ukraine. You should line up at a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, however you've been lining up the rest of this tournament. And Mason Mount's going to be back, so that'll be big for England. But on the other hand, you scored two goals in a 5-2-3 or 3-4-3, however you want to look at it. You scored two goals there against better teams. Germany is objectively a better team than Croatia, Scotland, and the Czech Republic. <laughs> I don't care what happened in 2018. Right now, Germany is better than Croatia. Okay? Okay. And Germany started Timo Werner. I, I was confused by the Timo Werner thing today. But whatever, that's, that's something completely different. England outplayed Germany where it mattered. <laughs> and Germany missed some chances. And England missed some chances. But England capitalized on their chances more frequently than Germany did, obviously, because the score ended up being 2-0. But yeah, the knockout stage, the next round, the quarterfinals, and the knockout stage for the Euro 2020 is Italy-Belgium, which is ridiculously unfair as we got to see Czech Republic versus Denmark. Then you got Spain versus Switzerland and Ukraine versus England. Out of all these uh, round of 16 games, I would assume the Sweden-Ukraine game was the least watched out of all of them. <laughs> two not very exciting teams with a lot of players, a lot of people don't really know outside of people that follow those two nationalities or follow Spain soccer or follow Syria, whatever. You're not going to have a lot of people that go, oh, yes, I am very excited to watch Emil Forsberg take on Andre Yarmolenko today (laughs) two very exciting players but if you look at some of the other players available for these other teams you go uh they're not really the standard Yarmolenko one of the best left-footed attackers in the world when he wants to be I don't know who he wants to be all the time like they said oh he's gassed out no I don't think he was gassed out I just think he didn't want to play anymore he does that quite a bit very attack minded player if he doesn't have the ball he's not really going to do a lot And when he has the ball, look out, because he can do a lot of things with the ball at his feet. Sweden, ML Forsberg, best player for Sweden, again, over the past four to five years. Have exciting players like Alexander Izak, Dejan Kulosevsky, ML Forsberg, like I've said, it's not going to draw a lot of people there, is it? (laughs) It's just not. So, Yeah. And it showed. It wasn't a very exciting game to watch. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people shut it off at halftime. Because that's, that's where all the game pretty much stopped. It was after halftime. Now, there was a couple chances, like I said. Hit a couple posts, crossbar, whatever. Red card, but... Yeah, not a very exciting game. But yeah, round of 16 recap. Belgium beat Portugal 1-0. Italy beat Austria 2-1 after extra time. Switzerland beat France on penalties after finishing 3-3. And after extra time, 5-4 on penalties... Spain beat Croatia 5-3 after extra time. Ukraine beat Sweden after extra time 2-1 thanks to Sweden's red card. And a very late goal. Both teams looked like they were playing for penalties. Sweden especially was. And Ukraine caught them napping and made Sweden pay. Germany beat, lost to England 2-0. Czech Republic beat Netherlands 2-0. And Denmark beat Wales 4-0. So now we got Czech Republic, Denmark, Ukraine, England, Switzerland, Spain, and Belgium and Italy. As we are moving on, I would like to change some predictions. I still think England will beat Ukraine. I think Denmark will beat the Czech Republic. Even though I liked some of the Czech Republic players, Thomas Suček, Patrick Schick, Denmark seems to have something greater going for them than just the players on the field. I think there's something greater at work there with Denmark. Now, do I think they'll get past England? No. I think England's just got too too many good players on their team to lose to the likes of Denmark. I'm sorry. That's just the facts. I like Denmark a lot. In my original predictions, I had them going to the semis. Should have kept that prediction. I'm a, a coward for not putting them in the semis in my latest predictions, but I'm doing it now. So we got Denmark versus England. Spain should beat Switzerland. I think Switzerland will be going in on a high, beating France. But they, one would suspect they'd come crashing back down to earth after exerting all your energy against the best team on the planet. I know they're ranked second in the FIFA World Rankings. I don't care. France was the best team on the planet until then now it's up for debate whoever the best team on the planet is FIFA world rankings it's Belgium but their depth is a little bit of concern to me and that'll be very much tested without Eden Hazard without Kevin De Bruyne and yes I know they didn't play with them against Russia this is a little different than playing Italy (laughs) that's a completely different set set of worms here yeah sure you can go with Yannick Carrasco and Dries Mertens against Russia and Dries Mertens and Yannick Carrasco are not any slouches I don't want to sound like that at all but compared to Kevin De Bruyne and Eden Hazard on his day, it's a little bit of a downgrade. And I'm intrigued to see how Italy, or Belgium's defense does against Italy. I don't know who's going to start that middle center back. As I said, Thomas Vermaelen was their best defender against Portugal. But will he still be starting? He might have got injured some point between that game and July 2nd when the game takes place. So I don't know what happens there. But, man, do I? St- I've stuck with Belgium the entire time, but the fact that Uh, But Lukaku's there. Lukaku's the thing that's still holding me on to Belgium against Italy. Because everything points to Italy going to the finals. I'm ready for a final matchup between Italy and England. But I still want to go with Belgium. Because I really like some of the players Belgium has. But logic says Italy. They're more healthy. They've got better depth. They haven't allowed a goal this entire tournament until Austria randomly did. They both haven't played anybody up to this point other than Belgium just beat Portugal, which is a very nice win for Belgium. I don't know, but Spain should beat Switzerland. So I can lock in England, Denmark, and Spain, I think. But maybe Switzerland upsets Spain. Spain's looked very suspect at times throughout this tournament. Czech Republic, they've looked really good at times this tournament. I'm I'm not confident in Belgium. I'm not confident in that one at all. I wasn't confident in England and Germany. I still stuck out with England, even though I said on the show Germany, if you paid attention to what I said on Monday, I changed my bracket right before I put out the show. I put the bracket out on my Twitter account saying England v. Germany, England going to the finals. That's what my prediction, official prediction, even though I'm in the show, I said Germany. Okay, got that cleared out. So I've still got one team alive from the finals. Out of the entire tournament, I got Belgium, Italy, Spain, England, and Denmark right. So I've got five out of the last, what, eight right. I didn't get Switzerland, obviously. I don't think a lot of people got Switzerland. I didn't get Ukraine right. Couldn't choose Ukraine over Sweden. Couldn't do that. And I didn't take the Czech Republic over the Netherlands. Even though the Netherlands have a really weird history with the Czech Republic, I went with the Netherlands over that. So yeah, five out of five out of eight. That's not that bad, right? And a couple games were really close. Spain or Switzerland, France was on penalties. Spain, or Sweden, and Ukraine was after extra time. Should have gone to penalties if Sweden held on for a tiny bit longer, and the Czech Republic just played Netherlands off the pitch. That was that was <laughs> that one I'll take on the chin, but I was close with the other two. Almost both games went to penalties, but yeah, I'll stick with Belgium. Am I confident in saying that? No, but I'll ride or die with Belgium. Even though <laughs> whoever wins that game is going to the finals. Okay, both teams are better than Spain and Switzerland. It's simple as that. Both teams are better. So whoever wins that game, fair play. Now, I think we'll have a full-blown pre... We could have a full-blown pre... Yeah, the game starts on Friday. We'll have a show coming out on Friday anyway. So I might change my mind by the time Friday comes around. So (laughs) we will see. But yeah, on Friday, we have Belgium, Italy, Switzerland, Spain's on Friday as well. And then Ukraine, England, and Czech Republic and Denmark is on Saturday the 3rd. Then Sunday is the 4th of July. So I will not be having a show next Monday because... As you know, as you should know by this point, I record a show a day in advance. I'm not going to be able to do that on the 4th of July. It's a, as, it's a holiday, so there will be no show next Monday. I apologize for that. If you were much anticipating the 4th of July edition of the Logan Blackman Show, I can confirm that there will be no such thing as a 4th of July edition of the Logan Blackman Show. So, yeah, that's what I got you for you for soccer. Now let's move on to some football. The other football, football and football however you want to call it, yes. I've been seeing this a lot recently, and I'm getting kind of tired of it. I'm getting kind of tired of it. It's Josh Allen's slander on social media. Now, you know I've come to the defense of Josh Allen numerous times before on this show, and some people at this point might get annoyed. But as I look over there at my Josh Jack's Jack cereal, I get riled up a little. Riled, riled, riled up <laughs> a little bit. Now, there's some people... You know, coming to their senses about Josh Allen's a top five quarterback, and we should come to expect that at this point, and how his numbers last season, it's not just a blip. He had an insane season. But the thing that's been popping up a lot recently, I don't know why this stuff randomly pops up about Josh Allen and stuff like that. Like, it just flows onto my social media accounts all the time, and I, just, I can't really avoid it. <laughs> We already talked about how Josh Allen's last season was the only the only QBs in NFL history with a 4,500-yard pass season, 30-plus touchdowns, and 10 fewer interceptions. Josh Allen, one of eight quarterbacks to do that in NFL history. And since 2019, he has the most quarter, rushing touchdowns out of all the quarterbacks in the NFL and currently has more rushing touchdowns than Saquon frickin' Barkley, who's a running back. And until last year, Josh Allen had played less games than Saquon Barkley, and he had more rushing touchdowns even before last year started. But it's come up again. I, it's just annoying at this point. Like, do you, you just can't let go of your preseason prediction or pre-draft prediction, pre-2018 draft prediction of Josh Allen being bad. And this all started because pro football focus has usually been a Josh anti-Josh Allen site at least it used to be now it's a pretty Josh Allen heavy praise site Josh Allen to me is the best pure passer out of that bunch Eric Eager on the 2018 QB class and that's 100% true I mean if you debate that you're stupid I'm sorry that just I love Lamar Jackson he's not the passer Josh Allen don't even get me started on Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold Josh Rosen we're not even getting into that conversation the only one Josh Allen's close with in this draft class is Lamar Jackson and they were the, the two that were the biggest quote-unquote projects out of the entire draft class. I love Lamar. I love Josh Allen more, though. But this dude, it, let me go oh man, get ready for this. <clears throat> he does not use his real name or profile picture. It is a picture of a dog. Man, would you have been surprised if I told you that a person chatting shit on Twitter that didn't know what they were talking about? Comes in with no name or profile picture of themselves. It's up a dog. It could be his dog. Fair play. But he goes in, or she. I don't know. I don't judge. Josh Allen couldn't hit water from a boat a year ago. Then give him a top five wide receiver and suddenly he's Jim Kelly, L-O-L-M-A-O. Y'all funny. Here's the thing, Brainiac. Before last season, no one was considering Stephon Diggs a top five wide receiver. Nobody before last season was saying Stephon Diggs was even the best receiver on the Minnesota Vikings. Most people, including myself, said Stephon Diggs was the second best receiver on the team behind Adam Thielen, which was 100% true. You can debate, me on, de- debate that with me all you want. That's just facts. I have a few friends that are Vikings fans, a fair bit of friends that are Vikings fans. They will tell you Stephon Diggs was the second best receiver on that Minnesota Vikings team. Okay, and let's just get one thing straight. Josh Allen put up great numbers with John Brown and Cole Beasley. It's no coincidence that these three wide receivers—John Brown, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley—all had career years with Josh Allen as their quarterback. It's not that those guys made Josh Allen; those guys—they're all together in this. It's not like they weren't good wide receivers before. But Josh Allen took them to the frickin' stratosphere. Cole Beasley was never sniffing all-pro nods. Same with Stephon Diggs. None of them were sniffing all-pro, let alone first-team all-pro, let alone NSL reception leader, let alone receiving yards leader. Stephon Diggs. Every single one of his accolades is from the 2020 season. Ever since he's been... No, okay, he's got all-rookie team. Congratulations. Good, Good job. But everything... And I love Stephon Diggs. I don't want to make this sound like I'm belittling Stephon Diggs because that is 100% not it. Like I said, Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown were all good receivers before they got to Buffalo. They weren't scrubs before they got to Buffalo. Okay, let's just get that straight. Stephon Diggs has always been one of the best route runners in the NFL, if not the best route runner in the NFL. But he wasn't the best receiver on the Vikings. Like, the year before he left... The very before he went to Buffalo... He had 63 catches with, 11, with 1,000 yards. I almost said 1,100. He just had under 1,100 yards. His first year in Buffalo, he doubled the receptions, added 500 yards, or just about 500 yards, to his receiving yard total. 500 more yards than every other year in his NFL career. So you're telling me a top-five receiver, his career year before Buffalo was 1,093 yards? That's a top five receiver. Receiver. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> what top five receiver had two thousand yard seasons in five years? Stephon Diggs is an amazing wide receiver and helped this Bills team immensely. Stephon Diggs got is getting got so much negative press in Minnesota for what he does for the entirety of the Buffalo Bills team. I don't believe the Minnesota rumors and Minnesota news as much as I did back then for what he has done for the bills as a whole. I don't, I don't really buy the Minnesota garbage anymore that he was a cancer in the locker room. I just think he was surrounded by a people that didn't know how to win. They know how to win regular season games. Hell they can go 10 and six all they want. Oh, now 10 and seven, I guess. But yeah. And most Vikings fans, there's some stupid. My friend Noah, one of my best friends, he's a big time Vikings fan. We make fun of Vikings Twitter all the time. He hates Vikings Twitter cuz every fan base has this. But some more than others, toxic fans where you just hate for no reason. That Kirk Cousins hate, we have defended Kirk Cousins a thousand times on the show. That is getting to a point of being ridiculous. I don't, I don't get it anymore. <laughs> and you're just trying to find something to hate now. If you looked at the Vikings off the line, there's not a lot of quarterbacks who would have been able to let, survive, let alone have good seasons in the NFL. Now, sure, yes, you got Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. It doesn't help if you have no off the line. <laughs> like, even the Bengals, drafting Jamar Chase this year, when everybody said you should draft Panay Sewell, they got pieces on the off the line to improve. They have a decent building block on the offensive line. It, not the Vikings. The Vikings let go <laughs> their Pro Bowl career season left tackle in Riley Reeves, who just went to the aforementioned Cincinnati Bengals. Now they drafted Christian Dariusaw. They got uh, Wyatt Davis, I think, in the third round from Ohio State. Uh, Ezra Cleveland is a very raw piece. Dakota Dozer sucks. Garrett Bradbury's on the borderline of sucking. So their O line's bad. There are three of their starters are going to be rookie. Two of them are going to be rookies. The other one's going to be a second-year player who started all of last season at left guard when he got drafted as a tackle. Their O-line stinks, okay? Now we're done with the Vikings talk. I just had to get out of the way because of Stephon Diggs getting talked about. Like I said, Stephon Diggs was not a top-five receiver before he came to Buffalo. Cole Beasley was not sniffing all pros before he got to Buffalo. John Brown was a serviceable number two wide receiver before he got to Buffalo, put up good numbers in Arizona and Baltimore. Legit deep threat in Buffalo. Now, the only correlation I see between this is Josh Allen. I don't get the point of saying Josh Allen couldn't play before Stephon Diggs got there because that logically and statistically just makes no sense. (laughs) <laughs> it just it doesn't you are stupid if you make that argument Stefan Diggs was not a top five wide receiver why are you calling him a top five receiver now you weren't calling him that two years ago when he got 1093 yards his career best in receiving yards before he got to Josh Allen and I'll never forget seeing all those tweets saying man if he doesn't like Kirk Cousins I can't wait to see how he deals with Josh Allen who for some reason people Put together, he had a very bad year, his second year in the NFL. He didn't. Made the playoffs a 10-6 and team and put up very nice numbers. (laughs) He made the NFL Top 100 list, which is NFL players voting for NFL players. Okay? And after this tweet, Bills, QB, watch they're all over the place. They were very skeptical on Josh Allen coming into the draft. Very skeptical. I, I shared a few tweets with them every now and again when we had the Logan Blackman Show Twitter account. We had a little, we didn't have arguments. He'd like some of my tweets or she, I guess I don't know who runs the account, but they would like my tweets every now and again. And they were very skeptical about Josh Allen for for rightful reasons. He was the biggest uh, project in the draft. Everybody knew this going in, but Josh Allen (laughs) is above the point of people making him better. Josh Allen is now at the point where he is making people better. And this is what dude said. Remember, dude said he couldn't hit the water if he was standing in the boat. No, does he know the boats? What if the boat's in the driveway in Urbandale, Iowa, and there's no lake near it? So, stupid, get lawyered. But really, on throws of 19 yards or less in 2019, Josh Allen was the ninth highest graded quarterback in the NFL. Looking at solely intermediate throws, Josh Allen jumped to sixth in grade. Buffalo's route weren't nearly as deep in 2019. We saw a a decrease in vertical route usage and an increase in speed outs. Du- double the rate, and as a matter of fact, not to mention he held on to the ball for a significantly less amount of time. Buffalo's offensive success was really a team effort between the scheme, play caller, supporting cast, and Josh Allen. Josh Allen's the main reason behind this. Brian Dable, great offensive coordinator, but he's the main guy. By the end of Josh Allen's second season, he already improved being a top ten passer, a short intermediate range. Even though he was sixth in depth of target in twenty nineteen. This is where nearly 95% of his attempts were. Wide receivers Cole Beasley and John Grounds had very good seasons in 2019 before Diggs. That was the 2019 stuff. So we're not even talking (laughs) about 2020 Josh Allen. They didn't even bring out the receipts for 2020 Josh Allen. They just kept the argument at 2019 (laughs) and he was already finished. Josh Allen shot up a ton from year one to year two. And then we don't even need to talk about the 2019 and 2020 Josh Allen. So those things I was just reading were from the 2020 season. 2019 season. Prior, just to Stefan Diggs being there. And then this is another great one. Stop holding on to the same, Josh Allen to the same level of expectation as two Heisman winners out the gate. Allen surpassed the other two. Period. Josh Allen drafted as a project QB out of Wyoming. Baker Minfield drafted as a Heisman winner. Lamar Jackson drafted as a Heisman winner. Josh Allen, again, Project, out of Wyoming, had really one good year, and he was the biggest accolade, was named Idaho Potato Bowl MVP and second team All back, co- well, ugh, geez. Second team Mountain West Conference. Not really the the glamour, glitzing glamour that you see from Lamar Jackson and Baker Mayfield, and I respect and love both those guys, more so Lamar than Baker Mayfield, because I think the love for Baker Mayfield in some circles is ridiculous. But I think some of the hate towards Baker Mayfield in some circles is also ridiculous. We, I think, we can all just say, clear as day. Unlike Josh Allen, where you can look at the stats and see, oh wow, these players were significantly better with Josh Allen than when they were without Josh Allen. They did not boost; they helped boost Josh Allen. But Josh Allen carried, or pushed them to first team All Pro and second team All Pro selections. Baker Mayfield has the best O line in football, the best run game in football. And one of the best tight end rooms in football, with a very good wide receiver core, with an off to co- which an offensive-minded coach that comes from Minnesota that ran the ball. What does Cleveland do better than almost every team in the NFL when it comes to just their running backs? Run the ball. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, fantastic. Jack Conklin, Jedrick Wills, J.C. Tredder, Nick Petonio, Wyatt Teller. Like, it's not often you can name a team's offensive line. That's how good their O-line is. I'm staring at my background. My background on my laptop is Josh Allen throwing a football at uh, Okafor's head at the end of that Chiefs-Bills playoff game. Very funny play. I'd go watch it. U- there's a few YouTube videos surrounding that. It's a very funny YouTube video. But Baker Mayfield, you can look at some of the st- statistics with before Baker Mayfield with these receivers and then with Baker Mayfield yeah is he even close to josh allen not really if you look at the the things the browns have compared to the bills it's not really close the only thing the bills have better than the browns as far as players outside of the quarterback is wide receivers browns have a better o-line running game and tight ends people don't even really know if dawson Knox can catch unless it's a very impossible catch to make i like zach moss and i like devin singletary but they haven't proved to be legit starters in the NFL at this point in time. I think Zach Moss will get a lot of that burden this year. Obviously, as a rookie, didn't really get a lot of tr- geez, trust from Sean McDermott at times and Brian Dable, but we'll see. Bozo line's good, not the Browns. Okay, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield good, <laughs> not Josh Allen. And Lamar Jackson, Different. he's a little bit of a different story because he can do things in the NFL that no one can do. Like you can, you won't find anybody else in the NFL that can turn a ten-yard sack into a fifty-yard gain. That doesn't happen in the NFL today. You don't see that from. Any, I think you could. I mean, Kyler Murray maybe, but he's not Russell Wilson is not that anymore. He does not move like that anymore. He's a good mover. He's not like immobile. He's not a flesh statue like J T. Daniels. He can move, but not like Lamar. Watch that Titans game. There's a few plays in that game, the playoff game from this past year that Lamar made some plays that no one else in the NFL can make. Josh Allen does the same thing. You watch him escape some of the sacks and how many people can't bring him down. There's not a lot of things that these guys, that those two do, that anybody else in the NFL can do. And I would like to, I just, I forgot about this till right now. I found these little, uh, what do you call these? They're circles. Uh, percentage charts? I, I don't know. It's with Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Josh Allen. So I know I joke around saying Josh Allen's the real MVP and all that kind of stuff, that Aaron Rodgers didn't deserve and Josh Allen deserved it way more. But here's the, the percent of teams total yards, rushing, and passing. Aaron Rodgers, 71% of the Packers total rushing and passing yards. Tom Brady, 75%. Patrick Mahomes, 76 Josh Allen, 78% of the Bills total yards of offense. And then the one that's my favorite, total percent of teams' touchdowns rushing and passing. Tom Brady, 70. Aaron Rodgers, 76. Patrick Mahomes, 74. And then Josh Allen, 82% of the Bills' points, touchdowns, were from Josh Allen. That's that's what I've said. Like If you're the most valuable player on your team, which Aaron Rodgers obviously is, but if we're talking about most value, who is more valuable to our team, Josh Allen or Aaron Rodgers? It's Josh Allen. The one play Josh Allen missed through injury was against the Chargers. He's out for one play. The very next play, Matt Barkley got sacked. That's why I'm happy uh, Mitch Trubisky is the backup quarterback this year. Because he's more similar to Josh Allen than Matt Barkley. He can actually move around somewhat. But yeah, Josh Allen's more value. It's going to sound asinine. It's going to sound weird. And you're going to call me biased. And I am, as all fans are. It's very hard to find a completely unbiased fan and then are you really a fan you got to have some but do you have do you at least like some of your players <laughs> but most of the time i'll be try to be as unbiased as possible but when it comes to this josh allen hate that i see all the time it just gets tiresome after after a while and it's probably tiresome hearing about it but why do people have to keep saying it i've yet to hear i, I guess i haven't searched him on twitter in a while but I'm sure Bomani Jones has had something to say about Josh Allen recently. I I don't know. He always seems to keep Josh Allen in his mouth some way or another. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But yeah, if I had to rank the 2018 class at this point in time, based off what we know now, if you asked me two years ago, it's clear with Lamar Jackson being number one. But right now, all of Josh Allen's numbers, other than rushing yards, obviously, were better than Lamar Jackson's unanimous MVP season. All of his numbers were better. If Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw, what, 50 touchdowns? Josh Allen's the MVP. <laughs> he, he is. You might not like that, but he is. I read you the Venn diagrams, or not Venn diagram, percentage charts, I guess. Whatever you want to call them, you call them whatever you want. Josh Allen's the best quarterback from the 2018 class. And then it's Lamar. And then there's a gap. And then there's Baker Mayfield. And then there's a gap. And then there's Sam Darnold. And there's, there's a giant gap. And then there's Josh Rosen. That's the, unbi- that's the complete, I, I could get arguments of having Lamar Jackson at number one still. He was the unanimous MVP after all, but I, come on. <laughs> I love Lamar Jackson, one of my favorite players in the NFL, one of my favorite players in college football ever, but at this point in time, as I sit here on June 29th, 2021, Josh Allen is better than Lamar Jackson. That is subject to change. I'm not saying it's going to be locked in forever. I'm still going to have some biases towards Josh Allen. But at this point in time, they met in the playoffs. Both had never thrown a red zone interception. Lamar's first red zone interception was a 101-yard pick six. (laughs) He struggled mightily passing the ball this year. I'm going to put that down to uh, Wink Martindale. Not Wink Martindale. Who's their offensive coordinator? Greg Roman being a horrific play caller. That dude kept the exact same plays, the exact same formations from Lamar Jackson's MVP season and decided, you know what, that worked for us last year. You know what the NFL does better than anybody? Not change. (laughs) The NFL is very good at not changing. The NFL goes, okay, they're just going to keep running the same plays. We're going to keep running the same plays that did not work last year. You're in division with Mike Tomlin. That's not going to (laughs) say you're going to have some adjustments on the defensive side of the ball. In your own division. Oh, man. Like, I was watching that Bills-Ravens game in the playoffs, and it was the same plays, the same formation. He's got a play sheet at the size of my freaking desk, and he only calls the same plays. Like you tr- Switch it up a little bit. Everybody knows what's coming now. You do the same motions, the same sets, same everything. And you had no wide receivers. I like Willie Sneed. I like Marquise Brown. But neither one of those guys are number one guy. Mark Andrews is a great tight end, one of the best tight ends in the entire NFL. But your receiver core was one of the worst, if not the worst, in the entire NFL. Now you've got Rashad Bateman, you got Tylan Wallace, and Marquise Brown, and Sammy Watkins. That is a thousand times better than what you have had over the past two seasons. A thousand times better. I don't think Sammy Watkins will stay healthy the entire season. I still think Sammy Watkins thinks he was the receiver that was drafted fourth overall by the Bills. I think that... And I hope Marquise Brown stays healthy, but if patterns are anything, I doubt he will. Rashad Bateman's a freaking beast. He fits exactly what the Ravens want to do in regards to run blocking and doing everything. He did that at Minnesota with Mohamed Ibrahim, balling out for Minnesota because Tanner Morgan regressed insanely from 2019 to 2020. So they had to run the ball more, and he improved a ton as a blocker. That's what the Ravens want. Tylen Wallace, same thing. He was a wide receiver on a team that had a 2,000-yard rusher. Dude can block. The Ravens saw what they do the best, which is run the ball, but got people that can also make plays out wide in Rashad Bateman and Tylen Wallace. They can block and make plays catching the ball. Great additions for the Ravens this offseason. I'm excited to see what they do. Jason Owe on the defensive side of the ball will be great as well. Not too worried about his lack of production at Penn State. Remember, uh, Wow, Daniel Hunter had like one or two sacks in his last season at LSU, and he's one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. So, like I said, Josh Allen was the MVP of the Idaho Potato Bowl. That was his best accomplishment in college, and now he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So, that, <laughs> that's you don't need to have insane production in college to be a great NFL player. People always go, oh, you think he's going to be better in the NFL than he was in college? Yeah, it happens quite a bit. George Kittle is another example of that. <laughs> This George Kittle we're seeing in the NFL is not the one I saw at the University of Iowa. This George Kittle is the best player in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, in 2019. This dude's the first or second best tight end in the entire NFL. Was he the first or second best tight end in college football ever? No. (laughs) He's consistently the second or best tight end in the NFL. People get better in the NFL all the time. Aaron Donald was not this insane at college As he is right now. He was a very good player at Pittsburgh. And I loved watching him because he had those Nike socks with, like, the Vs on them, the colored Vs on the back of them. He cut off the actual foot part of the sock and wear the, like, sleeve thing as the wristband. It was what I used to do as a kid. So I always loved watching that from Aaron Donald at Pittsburgh. But, yeah, it happens all the freaking time. Tom Brady? Hello? (laughs) It happens all the time. I don't know why that's such a big, like, Oh my God, you think he's going to be better than he was in college? Yes, it happens quite a bit. And some people get a lot worse, which makes a lot of sense because you're playing better competition, but you also got better resources. All you're doing is football. Now, in some cases, that could be, you could just be doing that anyways because there's some made up, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not saying it's official, but there are probably some schools that have made up football classes i.e. North Carolina with basketball, but that's beside the point. Yeah, that's all I've got for you on this mon or Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman show. Hope you enjoyed the show and yeah, I will see you on Friday with a full quarterfinals prediction stage of the Euro 2020 tournament. We'll have a final say on Belgium versus Italy. Even though I said Belgium today, that might change come Friday. Time will tell on that. But without further ado, I will see you all later. Make sure to follow me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, follow the Apple Podcasts and Spotify account, and I will see you all later. Peace.